Christian fans want to build bigger audiences for fantastical stories by Christian authors. Yet, how might we help our Christian family and friends share in this happiness? How can we help transform Christian deserts into thriving lands that love excellent fantastical fiction? Here is a hint. We cannot wait for the chosen one author to come along and defeat the darkness and save the kingdom. Instead, I think that we as Christian fans actually need to skip the fantasies and borrow a little trope from science fiction. We need to commit to a multi-generational project of helping to terraform our churches, families, and Christian subcultures. Behold a new Fantastical Truth, the podcast from Lorehaven. Back for another episode, and I'm E. Stephen Burnett, the publisher at lorehaven.com, and as of last fall, also the co-author of a nonfiction book about fiction called The Pop Culture Parent, Helping Kids Engage Their World for Christ. And I'm Zachary Russell, and I'm so glad we're talking about terraforming today because my dream job is to work for Elon Musk one day and help him terraform Mars by being the guy that pushes the button that launches the nukes at Mars. Because apparently that's how you terraform things. You just push a button and it happens. America. <laughs> and this is episode 49, How Can We Terraform the Church to Enjoy Fantastic Fiction? Yeah, this is a topic I've been exploring uh, since uh, settling upon this uh, image. I like it anyway, uh, which I uh, used actually in an article in the last uh, Lorehaven uh, batch of articles. Uh, the uh, issue, the digital issue we released uh, late in December of last year, that article was called Only the Beginning of the Adventure. And uh, we've alluded to that in a couple of the previous podcast episodes. The cover story refers uh, to this upgrade that we've done at lorehaven.com. Uh, phasing out, at least for now, uh, the print issue format uh, that we had been doing since 2018, and instead putting a lot more emphasis on means that I think might be more effective at reaching fans or potential fans in Christian circles. And by Christian circles, I mean just any kind of community, uh, a church environment, a class, a private school, a Christian college, your Bible school, or maybe just your family. And whenever we're talking about that in this episode, that's what we're talking about. Just a, a, any place that Christians gather, whether or not it counts as a local church, we would like to make it so at Lorehaven. Our, our mission is to help these folks over generations, because I think it will take that long, grow a love for fantastic stories, fantasy, science fiction, and beyond, so that maybe a century from now, it's just assumed that if you're one of those weird Christians you're the type of person who likes these kinds of stories. Yes, all weird Christians are welcome today. This is this is the gathering of all of us. There are dozens of us. <laughs> there are hundreds. There are thousands. And there are potentially <laughs> hundreds of thousands. And we've already seen some early signs deep down that I think Christians do like these kinds of stories. So I'm, I'm not talking about you know trying to impose a niche hobby on top of someone that they are just not going to like. If I listen to a podcast and someone started by saying, I want everyone to enjoy knitting little kitten socks, I would be somewhat bemused. Like, well, what does that have to do with my life? Like, how is that going to make me a better person or fulfill the goals that I have you know, as a Christian to glorify God in all that I do and to serve the world for his glory? Well, if this person had found that this was something very calming that you could do in order to tune out the rancor in the political rhetoric and such, and this was one of the best things you could do, and they made a strong case for it, then maybe I might listen. If this person was somehow able to persuade me 
that these actually were skills that I already had and I just didn't know it and hadn't uh, connected it specifically to a niche hobby like knitting little kitten socks, then I also might be able to listen. So that's what we're going to do in this episode is we are going to suggest that most Christians in Christian circles already have this skill. We already love fantasy because we already love the Bible. Most of what we say here is going to connect what Christians already like to this generational project we have in mind uh, to, even in little ways, help the Christians that we know to see why we love these fantasy stories and why we think that they, they ought to share in this happiness as well. Yeah, I appreciate that. This is not a eat your vegetables. Oh, perish a thought. Yeah. <laughs> this is a, hey, let's enjoy the thing we're already enjoying and help other people enjoy it that, that we're pretty sure would enjoy it as well. Stephen, I've got one pastor at my church that loves to quote C.S. Lewis like many do, but he actually quotes a lot from the Chronicles of Narnia. And so that's always fun. And he always jokes. He's like, yeah, you knew that Lewis, you know, you knew that C.S. Lewis quote was coming. But it's often one about Aslan or, or whatever. And then I've got another pastor who just shares all the kinds of wacky you know, stories that he loves. Like he, he got up one day and said, I read the zombie survival guide from cover to cover every single word. <laughs> and so he and I have had a lot of talks about you know, zombie fiction or science fiction like the three body problem or just anything else in that genre. And so it, it's really fun when you kind of discover this, you're like, okay, you don't just read, you know, systematic theology. You actually read the fun stuff. I think most Christians do read the fun stuff or watch the fun stuff. Like if you look at the top movies, top earning movies, either internationally or in the United States, I think all of them without exception, even the movie Titanic, which uh, ends on a fantastical note, as I understand, I haven't seen it. All of them are fantastical in genre, one way or another. Most Christians, especially if you skew younger, already love these kinds of stories, or at least like them, or at least tolerate them. There actually are very few Christians who are morally opposed to a story with dragons or spaceships in it. Most Christians, I think, think that we should, like, we should keep these stories around, that we really could use uh, you know, better ones. And, and yet, I think that uh, for a lot of Christians, pastors included, uh, the Chronicles of Narnia started in the 1950s. And of course, Lewis started uh, writing uh, seriously, you know, a decade earlier. So it has taken several generations to get to the point of having C.S. Lewis quotes uh, favor in sermons and in mainstream Christian rhetoric. I think it's going to take a few more generations to hopefully get to the point of having more authors saying more profound things, not just Lewis and Tolkien but it, we may have to wait till the year 2100 to see those results. Well, and, th and this is so true that we don't have to feel ashamed that, that stories can be fun because we serve a fun and creative God. That stories are refreshing. I have this quote here by Carol Award-winning author Sharon Hink, whose books we've covered before. And she says, quote, Recreation can recreate our souls when we try on a different world and a new story we find new parts of ourselves and bring new ideas to our experience, end quote. So I, I love that, that fantastical stories really refresh us and, and kind of recreate that inner magic uh, in our souls that, that we're always yearning for in, in some way or another. This is something that God intended, that, that we would enjoy fun stories. That last part is big in how we approach the topic at Lorehaven and on fantastical truth that stories and story-making and imagination are not simply optional add-ons for the human, 
something to do during your downtime, something to do when you need a distraction. But this actually fits within God's command to fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion and make science and technology and all of those things. Of course, the fall changes things after that. But now that Jesus has come, we can recover that more God-glorifying vision for stories. However, that's what leads to, I think, a kind of a, a question in the minds of a lot of Christians is, well, why do we specifically call for Christian-made fantastic stories? I saw someone tweet earlier today saying that, why would we call for Christian-made stories when non-Christian stories often present Christian ideas even better or more effectively because they're more excellent a lot of the time? I say, well, there needs to be a demand. You can't just call for the publishers, the artists, the creatives, the novelists to write better fiction, you know, dance for amusement. There needs to be a, a understood demand uh, from Christians, a desire for these kinds of stories from Christian creators, excellent ones. I'm not saying we put up with the shallow stuff nearly as much as we sometimes do, but we do need to ask for them and we need to support them with our money and we need to grow our numbers. And so a lot of what we say here is uh, a, lo a lot about uh, you know, the, the philosophy behind it, the reasons behind it. Uh, but especially as we get further into the topic, we will we'll close out with some practical tips for some of those little steps that we can do or to switch metaphors, those little seeds that we can plant uh, to start what we call uh, this, this terraforming project. Yes, we need, and I would say need, fantastic, great stories made from outside the church, yet I think we also need them inside the church, as it were. Stories made by Christians and possibly even largely for Christians. They get great results. And I say results to appeal to that sense of pragmatism. I want a story to work. Deep down, I don't think a story just could be kind of nice. I think that a great story can actually make you a better person. And I, I say that based on my experience and the experiences of lots of people I know, the other readers that we connect with at Lorehaven. Stories help change us to be like Jesus if they are good stories written for that purpose and they glorify Jesus. I think that they glorify Jesus more, if you can talk about degrees of glorification, more than a really excellent story that just happens to reflect as some kind of a Christian idea or a redemptive theme. That's our mission at Lorehaven to explore all of these kinds of fantastic stories, but especially to emphasize Christian made fantastical stories. It's why we've upgraded the website. It's why we've gone uh, effectively monthly with new writers writing articles uh, every month and then posting our reviews on Fridays and the podcast still going on Tuesdays and the news posts and everything at lorehaven.com free to subscribe there authors and writer groups. There's plenty of authors and writers in our audience, uh, folks who want to make these kinds of stories. We're speaking to you too, but definitely not just to writers. If anybody slips and says, well, writers should do this, like we're talking mainly to the fans. The writers and the authors, they supply the what, the stories, their training to try to make them better. But much of what we do in Lorehaven is about the why. We want to connect with fans. We want more fans out there to get together and share in the joy of these kinds of stories. And then ultimately, uh, they will be supporting what I hope will be this next generation of Christian-made fiction. Well, it's good to remember that even as writers, we are readers first. You know, we, we should be reading way more than we write. I mean, that's always the advice I hear. And so I, I try to think of myself that way, even as I'm trying to write many, many books, is that I need to be consuming like 10x more books than I create. And so 
whenever I um, think about this topic, whenever I think about trying to gather with other readers, I, I really want to see myself on an equal footing as just other regular Joe Schmo Christian readers. Exactly. Lately, interestingly, and uh, some of y'all may have sent me these questions, I'm not sure, but I've been getting more and more questions of, hey, I wrote a fantasy novel. Like You, you seem to know this world. Like, wh- Where could I pitch this fantasy novel? And I think to myself, very cool. I did not expect to be a consultant this soon. <laughs> However, I'm also sorely tempted not to sound like some, you know, bitter wizened, you know, washed up warrior or something who goes like, there's no market for this, you know, just being very, uh, very, very down on the possibility, you know, and, and then scaring off the newbies. That would be ridiculous and, and cruel. At the same time, I think maybe people who have gone off and then they've said, hey, you know, there's not enough Christian fantasy around here. I, I think I should write some myself. You and everyone have had that similar thought. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm happy to reassure you that you are not alone, that there are many hundreds, possibly even low thousands of Christian fans who have had the exact same thought. And I will tell you that the reason, the reason, there is not as much Christian-made fantasy out there is that the demand is not high enough. Lest that trigger a nuh-uh in your mind, I must say it again, and this is from decades of now experience in these circles. Demand among Christians is not high enough for fantasy. And I think as Mike Duran, uh, our friend who's been on the podcast before, uh, will be exploring in a lorehaven.com article actually posted yesterday on Monday, the 25th. If you're listening to this episode, when it arrives on Tuesday, the 26th, Mike explores that there is also less of a demand for Christian made stories in secular culture. So Christian creators who wish to be faithful to Jesus, uh, when they are making their stories, uh, not making a stereotypical clean story all the time, but even just simple faithfulness to Jesus, you will be confronted with new challenges and uh, literal, I think, calls to act against your faith, act against your beliefs, the more and more you participate in general popular culture. I think many Christians are able to pull it off and earn respect and earn acclaim for their creativity, but that is going to be less and less valued in a world that is being slowly and quickly overtaken by fidelity to, I would say, a false religion or two. And uh, one of those false religions, at least, is, uh, is what I would call sexualityism. So Christian creators are going to be increasingly marginalized in the general popular culture, and yet the demand is not high enough among the Christian culture. What we're talking about here is how can the Christian culture change, and how have, at least in the recent past, uh, Christian fans and writers uh, thought that, okay, maybe one of these days there will be a turnaround Uh, And then we will get uh, more Christians who are interested in these kinds of stories instead of just nonfiction, just devotionals and biographies and books about theology and books uh, featuring women wearing bonnets and looking forlornly out over the prairie because they just got shunned from their Amish community. One of the uh, one of the solutions that I think a lot of Christian fantasy fans have had in the back of their heads, and this is where we really started the discussion, Zach is the trope of the chosen one. I think this is the first of two tropes that I see here uh, that, are, that are often suggested uh, to help fix things among Christian subcultures. In this trope, the chosen one 
is the author, the brilliant, creative, talented, popular, attractive, good at speaking, good at writing, special someone. The prophecy foretold their coming. They have arisen from obscure origins, possibly orphaned, possibly grew up a a farm boy or a farm girl, and yet uh, they're actually at one with the force, or they know where the ley lines are, or they can see the future. They have a superpower, or they're actually of royal blood, and they were the lost prince or princess from long ago. This author is going to publish this most amazing book or book series, and they'll be brilliant with social media and the Instagram and all of those other things. And they're going to get popular and they will defeat the darkness and save the land. It's kind of happened before the Christian celebrity author. We've had a Frank Peretti. We've had uh, the left behind guys, you know, maybe they seem to be able to pull it off. And some of them even had books get into the New York Times bestseller list. By the land, we mean the church, uh, Christian circles, uh, Christian community, subcultures. We're going to save those things from obscurity and insularity. And also the wonder of the popularity of this story, we suppose, will spread outward beyond the church. And then we will have a crossover success. You know, revival strictly optional, but for some of us, it would be enough just to have a Christian this time come up with that amazing, brilliant, fantastical story that wows everybody and then makes the popular people in the world think, hey, maybe those Christians aren't so bad. Maybe they're not just all about worshiping politics or making God's not dead movies about persecution complexes. If only we had the chosen one. If only, if only, if only, then then we could change some things around here. Well, I've had at least this image in the back of my head and (laughs) somewhat convicting when I raise it now, because I think some of our listeners, especially if they're of the author uh, persuasion, some of them deep down hope that they could be the chosen one. Deep down, we, we would like, we would like to be the star of the show. You know, that's, that's just humanity. That's just our humanity talking. And I think mixed in that is a good desire for achievement. It's good to be ambitious and it's good to want to come up with the most amazing story that would be the best, that would be the most excellent, that would stand the test of time, and that would appeal not only to Christian audiences, but to mainstream popular cultural audiences. I don't mean to throw any of that out. And I also don't mean to throw out the idea that some creative people are going to be better than others. You know, there's that controversial idea in scripture that God does give different levels of gifts, uh, to people, you know, even one of Jesus parables, he's giving someone more talents than the other talents. And he rewards two of them for investing what they were given and making it back. And it's the person who buries their talent in the ground uh, that is not only not rewarded, but it, it is actually punished. You know, whatever he has will be taken away from him, Jesus says. So this isn't to throw out the idea of talent, you know, translated over there to how we understand the word today. There's definitely going to be more popular authors, but my suggestion here is that we cannot sit back and wait for the super Christian authors to arrive. We're not going to get another C.S. Lewis or J.R.R. Tolkien. Their legacies took generations to build. Certainly the stuff that they read and the cultures from which they came took generations to form. Evangelical Christians don't have that kind of legacy. We also don't have a couple of world wars that certainly helped to change the culture and move things along a little bit and make people a little bit more serious about how they view the battle between good and evil. Lewis and Tolkien themselves, of course, remind us 
that it is not always the great big super celebrity heroes who change the world. But what is it that uh, Tolkien emphasizes, especially in The Lord of the Rings, that it is the small, insignificant hobbit just doing their job, just doing their duty, deciding to be faithful with the ring to suffer a little bit and even to suffer in obscurity sometimes just to get the job done. I think that actually is a, is a, is a better way for Christian fans to view the world and to view their task of cultivating an environment, even in their churches or families or whatever, that will better support Christian-made fantasy fiction in the future. Yeah, I think the impulse here we have to guard against, Stephen, is the desire for instant gratification. As, as it is with so many things, it's like we, we want this sort of instant explosion of awareness of the awesomeness of Christian literature. And if only there was a big name that would make that really, really easy to tell everyone about. Where I think we are is sort of in the period of, uh, or, or sort of in the category of like indie music. When I was in high school, I had a lot of friends that would only listen to indie music. And they did not care what was on the Billboard Top 20 or whatever. They, they wanted to find kind of the more obscure hidden gems out there when, when indie music was really taking off um, in the 90s. And so th- that was kind of a fun adventure that I went on with a lot of these friends is just like, man, I, I'm the only one I know about that knows this artist or that knows this album. Uh, now, of course, that can kind of play out to like, uh, kind of into extremes. I knew them before they were cool. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. There can be kind of a snobbery in that as well. A gluttony of delicacy. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I think it's a good analogy in that we aren't going to be finding in this period of time, the, the billboard top 20 of literature, you know, we're going to be finding the indie albums, uh, of, of Christian fantasy. And we have to sort of be okay with that because, you know, obviously it's safer and easier to uh, talk to your friends and neighbors like, hey, have you read this book? When it's like on every Facebook ad you see, you know, like there's a couple of books I see like every day in Facebook ads. And so, or, or if it's been on the news or if it's been in a movie trailer or something like that, that's not the world we're living in right now. We're living in this world where these books are kind of more of a niche market. You know, I, I think we just have to kind of make our peace with that. But also it can be fun to introduce people to books that they had never heard of before. I like doing that so much that we started lorehaven.com to help do it. Uh, Speculative Faith, the blog, had been uh, going on since 2006. And then just a few years ago, it was time to take a next step and formalize the review process and uh, start editing our articles more. Of course, last year we started the podcast. Like Some of this represents that stage of growth. And hopefully people will see that. People will see that it isn't particular authors or even particular moral lectures in fiction form uh, that we want to spread to people. It is a genre, and I think it actually is a way of life. You know, the Christian fantasy fan is, I think, uh, living in a way that honors that big picture of the gospel. And at least through fantasy fandom, we are trying to teach ourselves that all of this stuff about miracles and the gospel and the resurrection and Jesus returning to transform all of creation and judge the wicked, all of that is true. We are living in a fantasy world. We just sometimes forget. And when we are enjoying these kinds of stories, that helps us to remember bit by bit. And so if we make it about 
sales figures or popularity or even about evangelism, uh, it can become a kind of political process. And there's politics back all over again, sloshing all over the place. You know, we're looking at, you know, who's who's more popular, you know, who's crossing over more, you know, who's in what best selling category at Amazon. Uh, this is kind of author stuff that I see sometimes. And we need that. You know, there's a there's a place for that. But if that's what we're leading with, then, like you said, Zach, it gets becoming more uh, about you know, the numbers rather than being content with the small enjoyments that we have. I think the chief end of the Christian fantasy fan is to glorify God and find the happiness and holiness in Jesus uh, rather than to try to make more of these stories. Even I think if we are putting first things first, then that success, Lord willing, will follow. But it's only going to follow if we are content to spread these joys in little plodding long-term ways. Well, and you mentioned politics, so okay, you just opened the floodgates. But now just just a really quick uh, comment that relates to that. In the political sphere, there is this tendency among a lot of people to just wait around for some super popular, charismatic leader that will do everything and you know and we just have to vote for him or her well exactly and evangelical christians in particular do that in their local churches too you know yeah. we, we we kind of have you know regardless of your view on church government we have this idea that there's going to be a singular talented every man you know every celebrity pastor hero figure uh, and then we end up with pastors burning out or falling into scandal because they cannot bear up under the weight of those expectations I went to a church in college where the, the pastor was very much one of those pastors, I guess you could say, not a celebrity. I don't know if I'd call him a celebrity pastor, but he was just a really good Bible teacher, just taught very faithfully, verse by verse through the Bible. A lot of people had grown up, you know, just hearing kind of random sermons. And so it was really refreshing to hear just some very methodical teaching. And, and he was just a great speaker, a great storyteller, but it, really became unbalanced when one day I went to church and I, I had showed up a little late. And so, you know, the doors were already closed and I was just kind of listening from the, the lobby or whatever. And this guy walked in next to me and he's like, who's preaching today? And I looked on the bulletin. I'm like, oh, it's so-and-so it's a guest speaker. And he's like, oh, it's not the main guy. And I said, no. And he's like, okay, well, see you later. And he just turned oh, around and left. No, no. I follow Apollos. I don't right. want to hear from Paul. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So, you know, that that impulse shows up in a lot of places whereas I I think the way that it actually works is is sort of more from like the ground level. Like it's not just like a top-down thing, it's like a ground up thing. Right. And it, well, it also ignores where even the celebrity authors get started. The celebrity authors get there because people are enthusiastic about them without regard to their pre-existing celebrity. Uh, back in the 80s, you wouldn't have gotten Frank Peretti, who was like unemployed or working at a ski lodge or I forget exactly what the backstory is. You know, he had taken some screenwriting classes, but at that time he was a nobody. Now he made an amazing story. Uh, actually started uh, with some. Um, no, no, that's right. No, he had pitched his uh, Cooper Kids Adventure series, which is like, a you know, Indiana Jones, a supernatural uh, archaeology series. I really, really still enjoy those. We don't talk about them enough, actually. Uh, because, of course, uh, he also wrote uh, a supernatural thriller, This Present Darkness, which we've covered in uh, one of our first episodes of this podcast. But the reason why that took off, uh, we have to realize it wasn't because, oh, a publisher decided to step it up or a famous pastor, you know, threw his arm around him on a platform somewhere. 
It took off first because it was a great story. And second, because there was already effectively marketing for that story. Spiritual warfare teaching was an important topic mm. in the 1980s. And it had gotten there after a generation of work and teaching and discussion by other Christians. So effectively, they were doing the marketing for the book and people latched onto the book because it was an important topic. Uh, Frank Beretti himself later said that he thought the topic got a little too important to people. And literally in a 1999 interview, uh, that is when uh, Peretti said, you know, actually it was 97, but well, we can link that in the show notes uh, probably. <laughs> Peretti himself said, you know, I think the topic was so important that I, I think I'm not going to write any angels versus demons books anymore. And it just seems to be, be a little bit too, too much of, of an obsession with some folks. That seemed to be what he was saying. The, the point there being, is that Peretti didn't get there just by virtue of the story being awesome, although it was. Uh, he got there because it was a trending topic for the church. Same with the Left Behind series, guys, arguably the last big Christian-made fiction phenomenon uh, lasting up until about the early 2000s. Uh, they wrote a pretty good story uh, starting out, and then they made it into a giant series, and obviously their publisher put lots of money behind it and made really nice covers and put it out in the hardback and it turned into a big franchise with spinoffs and audio dramas and everything. But they wouldn't have gotten there. They wouldn't have gotten to be celebrity authors. Well, first off, Tim LaHaye was already kind of a celebrity author. He'd written books about marriage and stuff like that, but he also had this side interest in prophecy and boom, off you go. But they also wouldn't have gotten that popular if they'd not come out exactly when they did. In the mid-90s, uh, during the Clinton administration, when a lot of Christians were concerned about the direction of the politics and the culture in the United States, and then especially in the late 90s, you had some of the Y2K hype going on, where all the computers were going to go down, and then maybe just kind of sort of the Antichrist might take over. Suddenly, the Left Behind series was an important topic. End Times was an important topic. The story itself was also pretty good for what it was trying to be, but fortunately, what it was about was the important topic. So Christians, your celebrity authors that you're looking for, aren't going to get very far unless they're writing about an important topic. Ted Decker might be the only outlier, uh, another very famous author known for being a Christian who puts a lot of themes into his stories, especially early on. He is an outlier, yet also his first books were started with Bill Bright of a, of a Campus Crusade, now known as Crew. So that was kind of the, um, okay, this guy's safe. Uh, that uh, seemed to be signaled to the readers. And now Ted Decker is big on his own, uh, but he couldn't have gotten there unless people uh, had associated him with an important topic. So we, need, we, we now have an opening, Christian fans, for helping people to understand as best we can in little ways that stories have value on their own, not just because they're about a topic that our Christian neighbors think is important and therefore, we've got to eat our vegetables, as you said, Zach. <laughs> well, I think, you know, if there's an impulse to only want to get behind the popular pastor, you know, the popular author, the well-known writer, I, I think what we have to do is sort of shift and go in the other direction intentionally. And and I would say what, what we need to do is don't be afraid, <laughs> don't be embarrassed to be a super fan of an unknown author because what actually gets people to read books is when people are excited about those books. No one reads a book because they're told they have to, unless they're you know, a high school student, people read books because they see how interested other people are and how 
how fun it looks. You know, that's why if we're, you know, if we're reading voluntarily, it's because we want to, you know, and, and we want to because it looks like a fun book. And so we have to be the ones that say, oh, man, I love these books. And, and people give us funny looks like, what? I've never even heard of that. What, what is this? And, um, you know, look, if you're, a, if you're a weird person, if you're a weird Christian, you already, you know, you're already halfway there. Yes. So yeah, you can be a, you can be a geek. It's fine. <laughs> but, um, this gives us a chance to sort of be a leader in, in our communities and say, Hey, let me tell you about some books I love. And, and it's okay that no one has heard of them because you get to be the person to introduce your friends to those books. Well, that is what being a geek used to be is that, uh, I mean, at least in my perception back when there were comic books and they were viewed as a little weird or possibly even poisonous. You liked them because you liked the heroes. You liked the art. You liked the fantasy of it all. You just liked the story. And apart from any sinful hijacking of that desire, it is a very wholesome desire to enjoy a story, quote, for its own sake, end quote. Like even if you're not thinking about Jesus at that time, it's at least closer to a more wholesome desire to just be lost, to lose yourself, to not care what other people think about it. Not not care what other people think about it, but it's almost a kind of humility if you're just forgetting yourself and forgetting others and getting lost in that world. Nowadays, though, geeky entertainment is big, as I mentioned earlier. All the popular movies are fantastical. The streaming dramas, everybody wants their big fantastical or superhero franchise. And I think that has shifted our expectations of what a story should do. What I've noticed sometimes is when... I'm talking about these amazing Christian made stories and someone will say, well, I, I don't think that's any good. I, I just, I don't think that's any good. You know, I've, I've tried Christian made stuff before and it was cheesy and it was bad. And I will say, well, yes, I completely agree with that, but this story here is very good. And yet they still, even if they seem to trust me, they still look at that sideways. No, I, I don't, I don't want to go there. I would gently challenge such a person about why they're actually interested in stories. Are they sure that they want to find excellent stories like they say, or do they also want to be insulated, kept safe a little bit uh, from that accusation that they're into the unpopular stuff? Hmm. Are they sure that they're looking for good stories or are they looking for popular stories? And as a homeschooler, and as a supporter of some movies that uh, other people don't think are very cool, just because I genuinely think they are good and underappreciated, I'm trying to train for this, trying to train to share and get excited about the stories that I genuinely love for reasons other than, oh, it's popular, it's easy to talk about it, you'll be cool, you'll have friends, and if you get close to the popular story, then you can be popular too. So, so mortifying that, uh, that motive for enjoying the story uh, is key. And I think that that actually is an issue of holiness. Yeah. Like when I talked earlier about my, a lot of my high school friends, they were almost like anti-popular <laughs> popular, you know, anti-pop culture. Right. Well, like. that's another extreme. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And so for some people that comes naturally and, and, but you're right. I, I for a lot of people, it doesn't come naturally. It, it is hard to sort of branch out beyond the beaten path of, of culture. But, you know, Stephen, I think back to how I was first introduced to Christian fantasy, and it was the uh, Ted Decker Circle series, and it was my friend Jonathan who just said, hey, I know that you love, you know, fun stories, 
you love to find uh, scriptural meaning in stories. Like, I really think you should read Ted Decker. And I'm like, who's that? I've well, never God even heard God bless of him. Jonathan. I, I don't think yeah. you've ever mentioned him before. That is fantastic. <laughs> yeah. And so um, he, he and I were roommates in college. And so this was um, a few years after college. He had, he must have picked up one of Decker's books. And then he thought of me and was like, I want you to read this book. And he told me about it. I'm like, okay, I'll give it a try. And man, I, I really love that series. This was back in 2007. So, you know, that's all it takes is just that, that one-to-one connection. You don't have to be like the admin of a Facebook page for some, you know, obscure author. Like you don't have to like put yourself way out there in front of everyone and like, look what a geek I am. Like it just takes that, that one intro- introduction to someone else. It does. And, and there was the context of relationship there. You mentioned that he was your roommate. I think relationships for, for Christian fans are the key here. And uh, keep that in mind, even as we're switched to this, uh, this image that sounds a little bit more sciencey, a little bit more science fictiony. I think that as we're rejecting that trope, the, the chosen one waiting for the chosen one, the celebrity author to save Christian fantasy from uh, the, uh, the dustbin of history, I think a better trope for us is actually that of terraforming. And I mentioned this in that, that article that we'll link to in the show notes that inspired this discussion. Yes, I like both fantasy and sci-fi. I'm not preferring sci-fi over fantasy here. I just think that the metaphor works better. If you're not thinking about a fantasy land, uh, you know, a kingdom in, ruled by the Dark Lord, then the Chosen One needs to put on the magic armor and find the magic sword and shoot the sky beam and defeat the villain. Instead, if you start with a desert world that doesn't have a lot of resources, no water, no oxygen, it's cold and dark, we could compare that, I think, to right now, I would just say the church, capital C, Christians anywhere seeking faithfully to serve Jesus and follow the gospel. Creatively, we're a bit of a wasteland. <laughs> Not only that, but uh, we could uh, spice up the metaphor by adding a few alien beings prowling about, uh, talking only about politics, politics, politics. Right now, as I pointed <laughs> out in another article, Politics is popular culture for Christians. At this point, I would even take an Amish romance adult coloring book about how uh, the, you know, the, the, the Amish woman had had a near-death experience and then came back and sued the ACLU and won back the high school uh, and then got raptured. I would take that story, uh, even that story, over the obsession with politics. Moving along from that, though, it may be just enough to say that Christian churches, uh, Christian circles are just a little bit uh, devoid of this creative energy. That is why Christian fans, through however giftings you have, and even in little ways, need to start terraforming the place. Terraforming, of course, uh, uh, Zach, hey, you're the sci-fi guy. Well, I'm the sci-fi guy, too, but uh, you, you may what is terraforming? I'm just going to let you explain that, actually. I, I explained it last yeah. time I went over this. Well, you know, I joked in the beginning that according to Elon Musk, it's just a button you push that uh, nukes Mars and then turns it into Earth. And it's that instant <laughs> gratification you mentioned earlier. So we're not right. talking about a magic button you push and get it right. over with in days, much less hours. Yeah, well, and, I, and I'm really just teasing Elon Musk. It's not really what he thinks, but that's what people think he wants to do. But anyway, it, it is a very long-term project, you know, to, to actually terraform Mars would take hundreds, if not thousands of years. You know, you have to change the atmosphere. You have to create a magnetic field around it. It doesn't get much sunlight, so you've got to account for that. Uh, the you soil know, you've got is- got to change the atmosphere so that you can yeah. you know, warm the place up. So you trap the sunlight right. more. 
Yeah. And you got to change the soil, you know, and, and you got to heat it up so that there's liquid water and it's just carbon dioxide. So you got to add oxygen. There's all these things you have to do. You know, this whole trope is covered really well. Uh, I'm sure it's covered in a lot of books, but the books I'm reading and the, the shows that I'm watching now are The Expanse. They are terraforming Mars in the story through this very multi-generational, long-term process. And so in the latest season of the TV show, this is uh, covered around book five of the series, uh, there's these two Martians that are talking. And, you know, they've, they've grown up on Mars, that their grandparents, grandparents were Martians. And so this is all they've known. But one, uh, one character says to another, I'm going to head out to this other planet that they've discovered that they can get to through a wormhole, basically. And the, the second Martian character was like, how could you do that? You know, th- this is who we are. Terraforming Mars is part of our identity. Like, how could you abandon that? And that really struck me that terraforming wasn't just a job for them. It wasn't just like a necessity. It was like a, almost like a sense of national pride for the second character, Bobby. And, and she is just totally offended that someone would abandon that for some easier path at, at making a home and making a, a world. And so I, I've really thought about that, that this is kind of how it is for us. That, you know, and, and we already know this in the church, the Great Commission, making disciples, spiritual multiplication. This is also a very long-term process. It's, it's, it's one-to-one, it's one-to-two, it's two-to-three. You know, it, it, it goes slowly, but that is our identity. So, you know, how could we abandon it? No. And it's, it's certainly, it's not easy. It's not easy to think. I mean, we'll talk about the practical measures in a moment. It's not easy to think about, uh, especially those of us who are more introverted. Uh, once we're able to start going to, you know, physical schools and churches and other gatherings again, it's not easy to think about being the weird one. You're already kind of weird for being a Christian. Why would you want to double that or even, you know, increase the value exponentially of the weirdness uh, by also being into Christian fantasy. And in some churches, of course, we must admit this, uh, in some churches, people will not only think you're a little odd, uh, they may think you're actually evil. Uh, in some of our more traditional churches, and, you know, Aunt Gertrude, uh, you know, who's one of the ladies of the church, a very powerful Christian mafia there in some environments, the ladies <laughs> of the church, TM, you don't want to fall afoul of her, uh, of her wrath. Uh, or even just her, her her stink eye, because Aunt Gertrude, if she thinks that you're into something that's not godly, she may give you the stink eye. Bless her heart. So the hazards are there. You know, it's it's not just a matter of failing to terraform, but you might actually run out of oxygen and die. You know, it's definitely hazardous, especially for those who are younger, you know, who are a little bit nervous about who they are and what their calling is in God's universe. However, I think this is the only way that Christian fans of fantasy that carry Christian themes have to build up an audience for these stories. And in particular for Christian authors who think that all they might need to do is get published and then their book will take off and uh, will find its audience. This is also the only way you have of guaranteeing that level of success, certainly in the future and absolutely certainly now. I don't see a whole lot of sales for these stories just because there's not a whole lot of audience looking for, I want to get some Christian fantasy and sci-fi out there, but woe is me. Why aren't they sold at the Christian bookstores? 
That's not what people are thinking. They're thinking, I don't want Christian fiction, or they don't think about it at all. They think, I'm going to go see the next movie. I'm going to watch The Expanse. I'm going to get it on streaming media. If you're looking for more from stories, though, from, you know, a little bit, little bit of a you know, deeper Christian influence that can actually change who you are as a person in the same way that Lewis and Tolkien did, Lewis and Tolkien have a greater legacy in Christian communities than any of the modern stories. Uh, however big Frank Peretti got or Ted Decker or the Left Behind guys or anyone who's writing the, uh, the Prairie Romances or publishing the devotionals, I think eternally speaking, in the scale of eternity, uh, those resources are going to be not as valued as Lewis and Tolkien, but it took generations of cultural terraforming for them to get where they were, and it took generations more of those little choices, you know, the, those little daring choices to maybe, you know, drop a, Le uh, a Lewis quote into a sermon you know, or talk about how great The Hobbit is, or maybe even start a book club at your church uh, for Tolkien. Uh, I think actually there was a church that did that for The Lord of the Rings right when the movies were coming out, and that was such an amazing, informative experience. And we might just talk about just specifically that experience and others in a, in a future podcast. But on top of the fact that this works better even over time, it's also more biblical. Zach, you mentioned the Great Commission. I'm, of course, thinking of God's earlier commission that sources the Great Commission. It is the cultural mandate of Genesis 128 that called a steward the earth that I mentioned earlier. This is terraforming. You're going out using the resources that God has given you, you know, a resource from outside this planet. And of course, you've got oxygen, you've got water, you've got animals and plants. You know, all you have to do is till the earth a little bit, and then it's going to yield as much fruit and vegetables as you need. No weeds or anything back then. We're dealing with a lot, a uh, lot more rough environment now on earth, and we certainly would in Mars. But God has nonetheless called people to transform the earth fill the earth, steward the resources, make science, make technology, make art and storytelling. So this is actually our job as humans. And it's certainly our job as Christians who know what that's for, unlike our neighbors who do a great job with the uh, cultural mandate sometimes, but they don't have a clue who it's for or, or who it's meant to glorify. God is the creator. He's given us this gift. And even if it's hard and even if we have other responsibilities for our families or churches or evangelism, uh, this too, I think, is something that we can do to promote better stories shared among God's people. Now, I think there is a, a really big hunger among Christians for this that a lot of people are waking up to. And here's sort of an indication of that to me. Uh, we tried out VidAngel, like many people did. Uh, one of the uh, members of our small group told us about it years ago. And then, of course, VidAngel got taken to court by the big mouse, and uh, we don't need to say too much about that. It's it's they've evolved, you know. They're they're trying to adapt to all that. But VidAngel, as good as it is, it's only a half measure. Now, for those of you that are not familiar with VidAngel, um, basically, it's like an automated program that lets you censor out things. So you could censor out profanity, sexuality, violence drugs, whatever you, you don't want to see or hear in a show, especially if you're watching with you know young children. And it, it sort of just automates the fast forward button or the mute button. And hey, for a lot of movies that we wanted to watch with our kids, but we're like, uh, you know, I know there was this part with something, but I don't remember where that was. And VidAngel kind of remembers it for me and skips past it. You know, that's great if that's what you want to do. But the, the bigger, you know, and there's a lot to be said about that. There's a big debate about that. Uh, should you, you know, mute things and 
movies, but I'm not going to get into that. The point is, even if you think it's great, even if you love it, Angel, it's really only a half measure because every story has sort of a message in it and it has a meaning and, and it teaches something. And this is something that Naomi and I have talked about a lot lately. Like we've picked up in a lot of shows that our kids watch. We're like, did you notice that the moral of the story seemed to be you can't trust your parents? You know, there's no VidAngel button for that. Right. You can't, you can't just erase that when it, that's woven into the whole story. And so a, a lot of Christian parents talk about these kind of things like, man, these stories are, are dangerous, not because of any of the language or any of the violence, but because of the overall emphasis on, you know, what the abundant life is or, or what your identity is based on or where happiness is found. You know, these are really deep things that are woven into a lot of secular stories and, and they get into our minds and kind of teach us some things that aren't, that aren't great. And so I've been seeing this trend among a lot of Christian parents talking about these sort of more deeper issues with pop culture and not just the surface level stuff. And so I think that's where very naturally we can introduce our Christian friends to Christian fiction and say, look, you know, the core message of this story is things that we agree with. And, you know, yes, you can, maybe this book isn't for you because maybe it's too intense in one area or another, but, but look at what the core of the story is. And and the the core of the story is really the issue here. It's, it's not so much, and we have plenty of episodes and articles about this at Lorehaven. But it's not so much what the story does not have: bad words, violence. You know, Christians have different levels of sensitivities or stigmas about those elements. Right. It's about the heart of the story. And as we've talked about with reference to Lewis's motives for writing his fantasy fiction, Lewis did not just want to make a story without any motive whatsoever to say something about Christianity to children. Lewis said he did not start with that goal, but he absolutely finished with that goal. In order, he got first images and then the form to adapt the images into a story. In this case, he settled on the fairy tale. And after that, he started thinking about the application of the story for, dare we say, practical ends. He said, then I started thinking about how you could use this. A story is a tool. Yes. Use this to help communicate eternal truths about Jesus and get past those watchful dragons and get past that impulse that you're supposed to feel a certain way. If you hear about Jesus, if you can sneak in with a lion instead of a Sunday school lesson, then you can actually get great results. So I think I, I start wrapping up here, Zach, and what we'll be asking, we'll be exploring later on about other, other means to help us do this kind of terraforming among our Christian neighbors. But I can say here that I think it really starts with internalizing the idea that as opposed to using stories for uh, yeah, as vehicles to communicate the very important topic, I think that the value of stories themselves to help us change to be more like Jesus because we're being more human is the important topic. And if stories themselves, the value of stories is the important topic for more Christians and they start understanding that, they start understanding that this isn't just a, a you know happy bonus. This isn't just some you know, frivolous dessert, but in fact is actually the main course. Then we'll start getting more demand for these kinds of stories. First theoretical and then actual. And after that, folks, you'll get celebrity authors and you'll get, you know, you author types. You'll get more publishers that suddenly have more resources to experiment. And as we start experimenting, 
then we'll start getting more breakout stories. Someone will find the secret sauce combination that no one else found. You'll get a new Narnia and a new Middle Earth that in no way resemble Narnia and Middle Earth. It's something entirely different. You may even get the creation of new hybrid subgenres uh, with this process, but it's got to start with reader demand. It's got to start with Christian fans in our Christian communities wanting more of these stories. And the important thing to note here is, like you said, Zach, we're not going to see instant success. Terraforming takes generations, if it even works at all. Between you and me, I think that it will only really work in the new heavens and new earth. And in that case, we may have a, a, a magic button uh, that Jesus installed that <laughs> <laughs> takes care of it, at least in some cases, once we've unlock the secret sauce of terraforming on our own for God's glory. It's going to take a very long time to see results here. The end times beliefs or the, the understanding about stories uh, only having to be clean, uh, those took two or three generations to install among the church. And maybe we ought to be happy that at least it took a few generations for people to figure out that fiction itself wasn't ungodly. Uh, we may not see the turnaround for the assumption that of course, Christians, like most Christians, like fantasy and sci-fi, we may not see that until the year 2100 or later. And after that, who knows? But what we're doing now are little steps, either the stories we share, the stories we make, the conversations we have, the articles we post at Lorehaven, all of those are little seeds in the ground, hopefully ground that is ready to receive them and not, you know, the dust of Mars. But all of these are those little seeds that hopefully in the future might uh, might bring a harvest or might even uh, might even make an atmosphere where we can walk outside and breathe in the air and have no need for a pressure suit. I want to balance all this with something, Stephen. To our listeners, this might sound like a lot of work, like a lot of really hard, sweaty, <laughs> difficult work. But the way I look at Christian fiction is it's restful. It's the secular and ungodly stories that are hard work. You know, when when you have to... <laughs> wade through all the thorns and, and get through all the rocks and all the lava of some popular media to, to get to the really good stuff, you know, that's hard. And, you, and you've talked about this a lot, that there are certain franchises that you're just not interested in because you know how much you're going to have to wade through and how much you're going to have to kind of filter out. And again, right. not just the surface level stuff, but that those core messages. And so I look at Christian fiction like it's uh, restful. And so even when we're talking about the the work of terraforming the church, it's restful work. It's joyful work. Exactly. Exactly. I, I, think that, I think the spectrum is really not for stories, secular stories. It's not always so much between good and evil, but it really should be between work and rest. And there are some songs, there are some genres uh, that are just that's that's too much work right now. Like, I can't do that. Like, I don't want to be always on. I would like to rest. Not that this isn't challenging. You can read a really good, challenging book while you're resting and it mm -hmm. wants to be working and resting all at the same time. Like, increasingly on in the weekends, that's what I'm doing. Recording right now, am I resting or working? The answer is yes. And Christian-made stories, the best ones anyway, aren't going to make you work to avoid cringing while you read them because they're just so cringe. But they're also not going to make you work uh, to get through just ideas that are going to subvert the gospel or, you know, the endorsement of idols that you really just don't need right now. It's been a hard day and you don't need any more idols jumping on you. The best kinds of Christian made stories are going to at once challenge and yet help you rest. 
Well, and I like earlier how you said a practical way we can get started with this is to start a book club. And, you know, you and I did that a couple of years ago. We, we went through a few books here locally, and I'm actually going to be part of a, a virtual book club tomorrow. It's this big Zoom call. And um, I would love to hear from you, our listener, like, have you been in a book club this year, you know, during the pandemic? And how did you make that work? You know, and what are your best tips that you want to share with others about book clubs? We, we realize it for some people, book clubs might be kind of an outdated thing. Maybe people don't really do that. They just talk about stuff on Facebook. But, uh, you know, I, I still think that people like to talk about books in some form or fashion, but it's obviously changed a lot in this last year. So to you, our listener, we'd love to hear what are your tips? What are your best practices? What are your good and bad experiences with book clubs? We'd love for you to share your ideas with others. And similarly, what are your positive or negative examples of conversations with people in your church or other you know, Christian-ish environments that related to fantasy or specifically Christian-made fantasy? What are some success stories that you've had, some tips that you may be able to share about how you were able to spread your fandom to someone else, maybe someone who only likes you know, uh, superhero movies or maybe someone who only likes Hallmark movies, but maybe you were able to build a bridge through relationship with that person and help them see that this story too, you know, okay, maybe it's a cozy romance, but you know, there's also a dragon, you know, who knows? There's, there's plenty of stories, even those made by Christian creators that can help to bridge that gap. So let us know. Uh, we have a comment form uh, at the end of the show notes here at the lorehaven.com slash podcast. You can go the direct email route and email podcast at lorehaven.com or tag us on any of the social media, our Facebook page, uh, Lorehaven Mag, or Twitter, Lorehaven. All of those are great ways to reach us. But uh, email actually is uh, probably the best way. And then you can also let us know if you want to share your comments on the podcast, uh, Future Recordings itself. Okay, well, let's hear from the fantastic fans. Steven, what's in our mailbag for today? And we got a, a comment from Micah Harris uh, regarding our last Fantastical Truth episode 48, where we surveyed the top seven issues of interest to uh, readers at lorehaven.com. Uh, one of those was uh, Parker Jigholz's article about uh, the baby-eating Baby Yoda code name baby yoda of course uh, to spoiler what what the child's real name is uh but uh, mike had a few comments to say and that this one in particular he said quote i'm a big star wars fan and i agree with parker completely i've had the same thoughts on people being morally outraged over make-believe it was a joke but check this out true story i saw a news show highlighting some brave souls who had saved some chickens from a cult Presumably not from being converted, but being sacrificed. <laughs> they had established a sanctuary for the chickens, and one girl commented on how the chickens could be happy there. What's not a joke is that we live in a society where the well-being of chickens is championed while the aborting of babies and even leaving one with a disability who has survived an abortion to die is championed as well. It sounds like something out of a Terry Gillum or Jonathan Swift satire, the unbelievable thing is that this is our world, end quote. And a sobering note there, uh, especially uh, as we record this, it's the day after the 48th, I believe, uh, anniversary, of the, uh, anniversary of the Roe v. Wade decision in the United States. Uh, this is a supra-political issue here. Uh, we are not for killing children on this podcast, oddly enough. There's other things we're not for, but we won't get into that now. We're just mentioning that now because it's timely. 
And uh, on a on a lighter note, uh, you may notice uh, any of y'all fans of the Ardman animated feature Chicken Run. Note that I cannot read the word chickens without saying it like Mrs. Tweety uh, from <laughs> that uh, puppet animation uh, motion picture. Well, we've also got a little entry here for Stranger Than Fantastical Fiction. So I just ran across this yesterday. Stephen, there was a bill filed this week in the House of Representatives to create a Bigfoot hunting season in Oklahoma. (laughs) And this is uh, an article from the Black Vault, which says, quote, uh, State Rep Justin Humphrey, who filed the legislation, said he doesn't want people to actually kill Bigfoot. So he'll be working with that state wildlife of tourism departments to craft final language for this bill that specifies only the trapping of Bigfoot. He also hopes to secure at least $25,000 that can be used as a bounty for the first person to trap the creature. He says a lot of people don't believe in Bigfoot, but a lot of people do. Just like some people like to go deer hunting while some don't, end quote. <laughs> I, I don't even know how that compares exactly, but it, uh, I, I love the spirit here. You know, I love the, uh, the indulgence of uh, fantastical stories. <laughs> so let's all storm Oklahoma. Let's see them big feet. There we go. Is that the idea here? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Probably not the worst use of a, of a state government's resources there. Right. <laughs> Next on Fantastical Truth, speaking of fiction, Christian fans assume or imagine or think that we know the purposes of fiction. We were kind of assuming that at the back of this episode, but in this new series, we're going to explore uh, the bigger picture here. Anyway, if we assume that, uh, we often face what we mentioned earlier Kind of that that side eye, that awkward look from family members or friends or some random internet commentators. The spiritual folks may ask us, if, if we get into those conversations, they'll ask, why, why would you want to read novels instead of the Bible or devotionals or uh, biographies about missionaries or famous preachers? Uh, casual folks uh, may assume, why would you read a novel instead of watching that popular movie? And uh, the academic folks uh, may wonder, why read novels with others rather than just take a shortcut to what you want to say? On Fantastical Truth, we are starting this new series about fiction's chief end. We're going to explore fiction and then fantasy and then science fiction and how the Bible doesn't just allow or tolerate, but actively endorses these wonders of human imagination for God's glory and for our good as his redeemed humans. Meanwhile, As you're not looking for the celebrity author to save Christian-made fantastical fiction from obscurity or stupidity, and as you are taking steps to terraform uh, the wastelands into which you may have landed in your spaceship, as it were, make sure that we know this is a supernatural task. Yes, there may be no air. There may be frozen water. Uh, The spaceships may be delayed, but this is a divine mission from God to glorify him in all of our interests. And we know that fantastic imagination is his gift. We can pray that this would be a success, no matter how many generations or centuries it may take as we continue to seek and find fantastical truth.